Good, good. Um, it's good to be in the presence of God and the saints. Um, you know, honestly, today my heart is grieved, and so I appreciate the, the time in worship. This week has been a difficult week for some in here. I know that if you are a part of either the Sandy Springs um, City Group, um, we've been all week and even been a part of the church, been praying for the Williams and the Uregos, and I definitely want to spend some time and praying for um, Zach Williams um, as he is still in ICU, and um, we just want to continue to pray for him and lift him up. Um, and the other thing I definitely want to pray, if you're um, a part of the SIN Network, our North American Mission Board, um, we heard some tragic news this, this week, um, this past Friday. One of the directors, a guy I've worked with over the, for the last decade, passed away in an airplane crash, in a private airplane that he was um, flying. And, um, and we want to definitely spend some time praying for him. He, um, his name is Clint Clifton. He was on, um, he, was, he, was, he just got his plane license seven weeks ago. Um, he left his wife, Jennifer, and five kids, you know. And so we want to take some time and just praying um, for him as well. So let's go before the Lord. And um, I want to do it a little different um, in terms of prayer. If you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I know the passage today is going to be coming out of Ezra 7, but we're going to be looking at um, 2 Corinthians 10. I, you know, next week we're going to be talking about the discipline of prayer. But what I want to do today is this, I want to practice just what does it mean and look like for us to pray through the scriptures and to pray for both the Williams and the Uregos and also pray for the Cliftons as they deal um, with, this, with these realities that, that they are in right now. So um, let's go before the Lord. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 3. We're going to pray through 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. So... Let's go before the Lord. Father, we do just want to take some time first recognizing, God, that you have the power of life and death. Father, in your hands, Lord, we, Lord, are so fragile. We are so weak. We are so limited in our scope, in our knowledge, in our power. We are so limited. And Father, in this moments like these, in this times like these, Father, that we are reminded of this, God. But this, Father, doesn't lead us to despair, Father. It leads us to greater dependence for, because your word tells us to, Lord. God, you tell us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3, Lord, that for though we walk in the flesh, Lord, for, for though we are reminded, God, of our human frailty, that we're reminded of our desires and of our lust and our, of just this, our walk, Father, with you, Lord, that it tells, the Bible tells us, God, that we do not war according to the flesh. So even though, Father, that what feels most real to us are the things that we are experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis, God, but one of the things that we recognize that, that, the, that we do not war according to the flesh, Father, because you tell us that our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, Father, but they're divinely powered, Father, for the destruction of fortresses, Lord. So we recognize, God, that we, though we walk, Lord, that we recognize that our, that our wisdom, that our strength, Father, that our warfare, Father, comes 
and they're divinely in nature. Father, they are from you and from your power. And so, Father, as we've even been singing about it, as we've been wrestling and as we've been doing warfare, Father, even in this moment, in this time, as we fight for joy, as we fight for peace, as we fight, Father, for your presence, Father, even at times that we feel, Lord, we recognize, Lord, that this is not just of the flesh, that this is spiritual. Father, and we wrestle with that, God. We wrestle, Lord. Father, we know that the Bible tells us, God, that in this wrestle, Lord, that we are to demolish strongholds, Father. We are to demolish every proud thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Those things, Lord, that, that buck up against what you say. Those things, Father, that don't line up, Father, with your will. Father, we wrestle with that, God. Lord, and so we come, Father, demolishing arguments, any proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of Christ. Father, right now, if there's anything, Lord, that's keeping us from being present, keeping us from hearing your word, Father, this moment and this time, God, we pray, God, that you're, that you're the Holy Spirit, God, the word of God, Father, would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that we would take every thought captive, and bring it into obedience to you. And Father, even as we hear about tragedy, as we hear about, Father, the, the pain that is left, Lord, that these families are feeling. Lord, we pray, God, for your grace, Father, for your wisdom, Father, for your mercy. Lord, we pray, Father, for Jennifer. Father, both Jennifer, Clint's wife, Lord, who's left with five kids. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Father, right now, the saints intercede for her and intercede for her, for her family. Father, we pray that the body of Christ would come around her. Father, and be, Lord, a tangible expression, Father, of what their father left. Father, I pray, Lord, that, they, that the kids would know that even though that they lost their earthly father, they would come to you as their heavenly father. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would bring every thought into captivity, Lord, for this family, Lord. We pray, God, that you would strengthen them. Father, we also lift up, Father, the Uregos and the Williams, Father, as Zach is a husband and as a father, Lord. We pray, God, that you would give them clarity. Father, you would give them wisdom. You would give the doctors a supernatural understanding. Father, to even get the thoughts and the, and the remedies and the things, Lord, that you, God, would be glorified. Father, that your name, Father, we recognize that for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Father, we know that our weapons, there's no one we can go beat up. There's no one we can go get. There's no one, Father, but these are divinely. And so, Father, we lift them up, Father. We pray, Father, for a peace right now. We pray, Father, for wisdom, for comfort. Lord, Father, we pray. Lord, that we would bring every thought into captivity. Help us, Jesus. That the word of God and the spirit of God, Father, would do its work on your behalf. Father, we love you. We thank you. We need you. Father, in this time, be with these families. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Again, if you have your Bibles, open up with me. We're going to go back to the book of Ezra. The book of Ezra. We're going to look at Ezra chapter 7. 
If you're here with us for the first time, um, we, are, we have been tracking through a series called Rooted. We talked about the discipline and the devotion of what it looks like to follow Christ and to walk with Christ daily. And we're taking these very first 12 weeks of this, this the first quarter to, to really get rooted, to get back to the basics, to get back to our, our relationship with God. I really do think that one of the primary fights for the Christian is to constantly cultivate our heart to pursue God above all else. We recognize that our hearts are idol-making machines and that we are constantly bringing things that, weeds that sprout out from our hearts to try to weed out God's word, to weed out God's presence in our lives. And, and so part of our heart is to cultivate that, to cultivate the grounds of God for, um, so that he may restore the heart. And that's really what the passage that we just talked about were, was saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says that the work that we are doing is essential. The work that we are talking about over these 12 weeks is essential because that it is our responsibility to constantly cultivate a heart to pursue God, to follow God, to have relationship with God. And this is our goal and this is our heart that we have. One of the things that hopefully you've been hearing and that we've been saying over and over and over again, there's a couple of primary resources that God gives us, and that is both the word of God and the spirit of God. And then as we think about the word of God and the spirit of God, it is important that we recognize that these are two things that are not competing. These are two, two things that, the, that are not competing with one another. That last week we talked about the concept of Bible intake and what does it look like to, to understand and to know the implanted word of God. Pastor Carly did an amazing job of just taking us to the psalm of just the desire and how do we cultivate a heart this, that the psalmist had where, he's, where he starts off with, oh, just this cry out, this desperation that we have that we ought to have as it relates to knowing God, knowing his word. And that when, if we are to know any person, any, any being that there's both, we know people both by their instruction, what they communicate with us, and we know them by their presence, basically being with them, that we recognize that both their instruction and their presence is the way that we cultivate intimacy with anyone. We're just talking about relationships that over the, the course, if you've been at Blueprint for any time, we talk about Christianity is not about a religion. It's not about keeping a bunch of rules, but it's about a relationship. And so what we know, what makes Christianity Christians is not even about the rest of the disciplines. We're going to talk about the discipline of prayer, the discipline of fasting, the discipline of silence and solitude. We're going to talk about the discipline of um, journaling, learning. Those, those disciplines are not explicitly Christian. You can go to any world religion. You can go to any practice and find those disciplines. These are disciplines that many people are doing. What make Christianity Christian? What makes Christianity explicitly Christian is both the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God, the presence of God. And this is what, this is what separates. It's not the form or, the, or it's not the function. It's both who we are, who the functions lead us to. And so when we see this, but the problem is, is that if you've been raised in church, for any period of time, there seems like there is this distinction or this competition that many of us as saints that, that we bring to the scriptures or we bring to church that is not laid out in the scripture. There is this tension between the word of God and the spirit of God. And it's like we go to churches that is all about the spirit of God. 
And we talk about how we limit God by just doing his word, but then we go to, to churches that is only about the word of God, and we talk, and you know, and it's without the spirit. And, and it seems like we set up in these two camps throwing bombs at one another, talking about either the word of God and the spirit of God. But this is an unnatural divide. This is a divide that has never been, that was never meant for us to have. It kind of reminds me, as I was looking and thinking about this unnatural split, as we talk about cultivating the disciplines, and I ran across this article about a 62-year, 62, um, about a marriage who was, they were married for 62 years. And after being married for 62 years, there was this picture that went viral um, on Facebook, and this marriage that after 62 years, they were forced to live in different homes. And basically, you see two, two people, one, one man sitting on a wheelchair and his wife sitting on the couch just weeping together during one of those visits because throughout their 62-year marriage, they were never, ever split. But now because the man, um, he, took, he um, was diagnosed with lymphoma, they basically, the hospital or the, hosp- the place was unable to hold, to hold both of them at the same place. For, uh, so for about eight months, they were about 30 minutes apart. And you see them weeping. And then later on in their reunion, you see the joy of them coming back. Because, And I really believe that that picture showed us and is an illustration of what we experience oftentimes in the churches that we have these two, that the, both the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. And we put them and we make them live in different places. That we say that if we want to hear the word of God, we go to certain places, but if we want to hear the spirit, we want to be moved by the spirit of God, we go to another place. And we end up pitting these two together. But the Bible doesn't give us that. There is both a need, when we talk about Bible intake, there is both a need for the word of God and the spirit of God. Why? Because if we don't, if we have just the word of God without the spirit of God, what, what happens is we dry up. If we just have the word of God without the spirit of God, we dry up. If we want to be led by the spirit of God, we must be devoted to the word of God. Right? You see, these are not, they're not mixing with one another. They're not like having tension or having beef with one another. The spirit of God without the word of God is what we call directionless. But when we understand and we recognize that the primary tool, the only offensive weapon of the Spirit of God is the sword of the Spirit, which Ephesians chapter 6 tells us is the Word of God. All you have to do is continue to go and read Jesus, who is the incarnate Word of God, talking to his disciples saying, I must leave you, but another one will come to you. And when he come, he will guide you. He will lead you into all truth. This, the spirit of God loves to talk about me. He loves to brag on me. He loves to make me famous. He loves to make me known. He's grieved when he's without me. That there is this tension that is felt, that is felt when we separate the two. When we see that the Spirit of God and the Word of God are the two primary resources that God uses to help us cultivate a heart to pursue Him above all else, then God has us in the right place to begin to practice and to walk out the spiritual disciplines. And if this is true, it is essential for us as believers to cultivate 
healthy habits are disciplines to help receive the implanted word of God and then surrender it to the Holy Spirit. And so really what today, what I, what, what I want to do is just talk about Ezra's resolve. I know some of you a couple of weeks ago I asked if, if you guys do New Year's resolution, and I know some of you said you don't, and that's okay. Right here, Ezra had a, re- a resolution that he was resolved about something. And he was resolved to wrestle with both this, to live out and to carry out God's will by being both submitted to the word of God and surrendered to the spirit of God. And hopefully we'll get a chance to do that. And, in, and what we see here, so in Ezra chapter 7, 7 through 10, there's three things that I want us to understand, three points today. Number one is that I want us to be resolved to be instructed by the word of God. I want us to be, the second point is this, that I want us to be surrendered to be led by the spirit of God. And then I want us to give us a set of disciplines to behold both. I want us to be led, or I'm sorry, I want us to be able to resolve, to be instructed by the word of God. I want us to be surrendered to the spirit of God. And I want us to give us the disciplines to behold them both. Ezra chapter 7, verse 10 says this. Now, Ezra had determined in his heart to study the law of the Lord, to obey it, and to teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. Right? In this first point, we, we, what I want us to see is a resolve to be instructed by God's word. A resolve to be instructed by God's word. Right here in this very first part of 10 and 10a, it says this, Ezra had determined in his heart to study. He determined in his heart to study. And so here we have right here, Ezra had a resolve. He had a resolve in his heart to study. Basically, another way of saying it is that when it comes to the word of God, Ezra, Ezra was very stubborn in his heart. That he, he, he had this stubborn nature when it came to God's word. It's as if, and I love this translation that was actually by, it's called, the, the translation is my rendering of the Greek. He translated it like this. He says, in verse 10, he says, because it's like Ezra made, up, made a personal choice, a choice to do his will or to fully give his heart to seek after the law, to continually practice it and continually teach it to Israel. And I love the very beginning of that rendition because basically what he's saying is it's like as a result of what we look at, we will see in six through nine, it's like Ezra made the decision. Ezra knew that I'm going to be committed. I'm going to be stubborn. And if I'm going to be stubborn, I'm going to be stubborn to hide it behind God's word. And there was this personal choice that he had. That word stubborn basically means to have or to show kind of a dogged determination like a dogged determination not to change your attitude or position, right? Especially in spite of like good arguments or things like that. It's just like, man, I'm, I, I am here. I am resolved. I am set. I am stubborn to do. You see, Ezra disciplined himself to study and to understand the law of the Lord. You see, that word study doesn't really do it like in the way we think about study because when we talk about study, we can understand study as basically a kind of a spiritual discipline and what Pastor Carly talked about last week about how we can even look at God's word and he talked about the idea of here or um, yeah, here, um, it was here. Was it here? Yes. 
Yes, hear and listen and study God's word. But when we talk about that, basically that there's practical things, there's things like there's different types of systems, the observation, interpretation, application. There's all different types of ways that we can go and study God's word. But right here, when we see study God's word, that word means to inquire, to seek after, to holistically go after, to go until you get understanding. So it's not just simply about a practice. It's not saying that Ezra sat in his study and like looked up with a candlelight on and basically started jotting down notes. That's not what he was talking about there. It says Ezra had set in his heart. He was determined to not just know God's word, but he was determined to understand God's word. He was determined to seek after God's word, his truth, that he wanted to submit under the instruction of God's word, that he, like John, or like in the book of John with the disciples, that even the times where the word of God is becomes different difficult to understand or difficult to under to, to interpret because they're talking about the variety of different things of Jesus talking about eat of my flesh and drink of my blood in the midst of that he is determined he says Jesus was like many disciples left are you gonna go too and Peter was like listen God I don't get it I don't understand but guess what there's nowhere else for me to go right here Ezra made it in his mind made up in his heart that he was set he was determined that no matter how hard it gets Lord I'm not straying from your word that if I'm going to be wrong I'm going to be wrong because of your word that I'm going to because you said it and I am determined I am devoted. I'm all in. I fully am giving myself. I have made a personal choice to study God's word, right? And he did this as both a discipline and he did this as a lifestyle, that he did both of them, right? When he says that Ezra determined his heart to study the law of the Lord, right? And we'll talk about the practices of some of the, some ways that we can do it later. But if you look back in Ezra chapter 7, verse 6, you see this idea. It says, Ezra came up from Babylon. So here was a man who was in Babylon, and Babylon is known as being a part of, like, in the world, right? It is kind of the worldly place, but, like, he came up from Babylon, and what we see is that he was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given him. There's so much in this passage that both we see that Ezra was not just reading God's word because he was in a moment and in a time that he needed God's word. He understood this and he cultivated this as a discipline. And like, and ultimately he gave his life over and it says that the Bible says that he was a skilled scribe that he was a scribe that was skilled in the law of Moses, that he spent his times constantly cultivating the word of God in his heart. So both as a discipline and as a lifestyle, he understood this. There's so many times that when I think about you, when I think about Blueprint, when I think about people that I interact with, that my heart and my desire is that if all you had was a Bible and we were to parachute you into any remote island, and all you have is the Bible, and you was the only believer in the midst of all non-believers. Like, you're the only believer. And this Bible had no commentary, right? No radio station, no podcast to listen to, no thing to download. But you had to just, all you had was the word of God in the midst of all non-believers that you would be able to spark a movement for Jesus. 
right? You see, this right here is that if, if I am there and I understand and I would have the tools to seek after God's word with this sense of desperation that, that to both understand God's word and to make sense out of our reality, this is what Ezra was doing. Ezra knew that it was God's word, that God's word was given to us. You see, because some of you say, well, that's not our truth. We don't have, we don't have to be parachuted into remote island. But some of you guys have to realize that that's many of your circumstances when you go to work every, sun, every day. And the reality is, is that you don't even get a Bible oftentimes. That you're on this remote island here, the only believer, whether you're a student at, at school or whether you're an employee at a job, you're the only believer in the midst of all non, non-believers. And the question becomes is how, that do we determine, are we steadfast, are we set that we will seek after God's word in the midst of all circumstances? Or do we have that. And so he says he disciplined himself. And what I love about the reason why we fully give ourselves, we're devoted because what the Bible that easily you can miss over in, in verse six, when he says, after coming from Babylon, he was a scribe skilled in the law of the Moses, which the Lord, and it says, the God of Israel had given. The God of Israel had given. You see, when we talk about the Bible, when we talk about God's word, we're not talking about human philosophy. We're talking about how God has revealed himself to us. This is God's sovereign way to make himself known, that he has instructed us that this was God. You see, the Bible talks about when we throw out God's word or the way God has chosen to primarily reveal himself, the Bible tells us where there is no vision, The people perish, right? Some translations, if you go look at that passage, says where there is no divine revelation, the people cast off restraint. And what you end up getting is what we call American Christianity. American Christianity is the same Christianity that we see in the book of Judges. Where the Bible, in the book of Judges, over seven times, it says during that time, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? Oh, we, we, say, we, we don't say it like that. We say, man, just do what's, what feels good to you. Do what's best for you. And we begin to internalize God's word. And Ezra was like, no, that is not the case. That is not the way we ought to go about this. He understood that there is an anchor that we are to submit, and it is God's word. He has chosen to reveal himself, right? Because where there is no divine revelation, the people cast off restraint. You see, so he was like, well, how do you know that this was Ezra was talking about? You see, right here, if you studied the book of Ezra, then if you looked at the first chapters three through six, Ezra was faced with some confrontation. You know what some confrontation was going on? You see, because 60 years earlier, there was a group of people that was leading. In the same, Ezra was leading this group of people with the second wave. There was a group of people that was led by um, um, another priest named Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was leading these group of people and they started off great. They built up the temple, that things were going well, all things were great. And guess what? And it was like ready to celebrate the word, I mean, the Lord's presence on this temple. And then the people who were part of building it, they were celebrating, they were excited. But there were some old heads that were there and they were like, 
man, this ain't like the last one that Solomon had. And they began to get disgruntled. And that led them to kind of say, forget it. I'm done. Right? And so here we have God stirring up Ezra's heart. He leads the second wave. And when we see Ezra, he's coming in primarily to come and to rebuild the heart of the people. He says that even though we have the edifices and we have the structures and we have the things, that we have left the instruction of God's word. We have departed from the thing that God, and we have departed from it. And so and even if you look at Ezra chapter 7 and chapter 8, it's really focusing in on the character of God and the commitment of Ezra to God's word. Because in chapter 9 and 10, basically Ezra is going to have to deal with post-exilic or the post-exile people, the people who kind of got into cultural Christianity or just the culture. They did all the stuff. They did the things. And, and Ezra, he's just like, I have to address. I have to address this, right? You see that the scene is being set right now by showing this commitment that Ezra had to God's word. It's a call back to the faithfulness of God's word. Why? Because Ezra had a resolve to be instructed by God's word. Ezra was committed to hide behind God's word. Because he knew and he recognized it, that, that the means of going about accomplishing God's will wasn't by any means necessary, but it was actually by all possible means. And he had God's will. And so what we saw is that Ezra saw the word of God as essential to accomplishing the will of God. But what I love about this passage is that Ezra didn't just... The Bible doesn't just teach us that he just saw the word of God as essential, but he also saw the spirit of God as essential, complementing one another with everyone. And so what we see is the second point is that not only is it uh, about a resolve to be instructed by God's word, but it's also a surrender to be led by God's spirit. You see, there's a, um, a, a phrase that's used multiple times in that passage in verses 6 through 10, and that that is the hand of God, the hand of God. In chapter 7, verse 6, the second half, in the second half of the verse, it says, the king granted him, referring to Ezra, everything he requested. Why? The Bible says, because the hand of the Lord was on him. Then we see 7, 9, right before we get to 7, 10, when he says he devoted himself to study. It says this, um, 7, 9, he began the journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month and arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month since the gracious hand of his God was on him. What you might miss here is that all throughout the scriptures, the prophets, you see that the hand of God is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And so the common Jew, the common person would recognize right now that when he's talking about the hand of God, he's talking about the spirit of God. And that many times you see that the Bible referring to both the hand of God and the arm of God. The arm of God refers to, um, to the word of God, to Jesus, while the hand of God refers to the activity of God, the spirit of God that moves around and move that we see this in many of the prophets just for the sake of time basically we see this in just looking at this one book in the book of Ezekiel 
In the book of Ezekiel, we see five times this reference to the hand of God. In Ezekiel 1 and 3, it's not going to be on the screen, so just listen. In Ezekiel 1 and 3, it says, the word of the Lord came directly to the priest Ezekiel. And then it later says, the Lord's hand was on him there. Three and four, it says, the spirit lifted me up. I'm 314. The spirit lifted me up and took me away. I left in bitterness and in an angry spirit. The Lord's hand was powerfully, was on me powerfully. Ezekiel 33, 22, it says, now the hand of the Lord has been upon me. And it says, the evening before the fugitive arrived, he opened up my mouth before the man and came to me in the morning so that my mouth was open and it no longer was mute. 37 and 1, the hand of the Lord was on me and brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Ezekiel 41, it says, in the 20th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, the 10th day of the month, the 14th year, Jerusalem had been captured. On that very day, the Lord's hand and his spirit was on me, and he brought me there. And so we see this is just one book that the prophets over and over and over again references the word of God with the spirit of God. Like you see, and what we see is that the hand of God signals God's presence Right? And so in this passage, we see that the author ultimately wants us to know that the man of, man of God is resolved to be instructed by the word of God because he is surrendered to the spirit of God. That these are two things two, two that, that bring themselves together. So again, the spirit of God and the word of God are the two primary resources that God gives us to help us cultivate a heart to pursue him above all else. So it is essential for us to cultivate healthy habits, healthy disciplines around both receiving God's word and surrendering to his spirit, right? Because this is the truth. This is the reality. And just like I said earlier, if we have only the word of God without the spirit of God, we will dry up. But another guy said this, if we have the spirit of God without the word of God, then we blow up. But if we have the word of God and the spirit of God, the Bible, or this guy said, we grow up. If we want to be led by the spirit of God, we must be devoted to the word of God. But if you are devoted to the word of God, you must submit it to the spirit of God. You see, the spirit of God without the word of God is directionless. Right? The word anchors you. It anchors you. But the word of God without the spirit of God can be powerless because it's the spirit that empowers us. Right? You see, this is interesting because the only people who care about how much Bible you know is, on, is other Christians. Right? We, make them, we make them our leaders. We make them, our, you know, these things like they don't care. But just, just go out to any person on the street and start quoting all these scriptures and Bible verses and things to them. They're just like, like what's going on? <laughs> right? Like no one else cares about how much Bible you know. But it's only the Bible, the word of God submitted to the spirit of God that knows how to actually wield that sword in the right way. 
is when that word of God becomes and is useful and it's able to sharpen, it's able to do significant things. It doesn't return void. We recognize that the Spirit's primary weapon is God's word. And this is why our part is to set some disciplines to behold both. Right? We are both to follow the instruction of God and surrender to the Spirit of God and create disciplines or habits that will help us to behold both at the same time. So in this passage, again, in verse chapter, verse 10, it says, Ezra determined, he devoted, he disciplined himself in his heart to study the law of the Lord, to seek after it, to inquire about it, to find out its truth, to obey it, and to teach its statues and ordinances to Israel. And what we see is basically the rhythm that Ezra had, these practices, these disciplines that we have. And in these disciplines, we we're talking about right here specifically, the discipline of Bible intake. A Bible intake. Last week, Pastor Carly went over and he talked about how we are to prioritize our time to hear God's word. We are, he talked about to prioritize our time to read God's word, to prioritize our time to study God's word. He told us, you know, in terms of hearing God's word, that there's things like going to church and coming to church, listening to podcasts, right? Even though we don't replace the, pod, the church with the podcast, that we come to church. We come and we sit under God's word. He, he told us to prioritize time to both read God's word, to have things that my kids and I and my wife and our family, basically, we said, we talked about this, um, just 15 minutes a day. And so we're saying like 15 minutes a day, our plan is by the end of March, kind of now early April, but we will read through the whole New Testament. Right? By just simply 15 minutes a day. And I literally, I say, hey, hey kids, put out the timer. Right? That's how you get teenagers to be focused for a period. Put out the timer and we spend. In 15 minutes, we read through three chapters of it. Almost every time it leads us to discussion, even though that's not a part. We don't have to, but we're, but we're saying this by sitting down and reading and prioritizing the reading of God's word. He talked about studying God's word. Right. And when we talk about studying, he talked about some of the disciplines of study and he used the acronym of here. Right. You know, just some simple practices that we can do in studying God's word of just highlighting. Once we're reading, just taking some time and highlighting the things that stand out to you. And then after that, explaining the things. This it's an acronym, H-E-A-R. Highlighting the E is specifically explaining his word after the, explaining the things that highlight that you highlighted. And then the next one is applying God's word. Right. Just saying, like, what is something I can actually do based upon what I'm highlighted and what I've explained? What can I do? But then the last one is that we respond. And he said, respond with something measurable. Like, what are you going to do in light of sitting and hearing and reading and studying God's word? We've also used at Blueprint the OIA squared method of observation. Right. And simply an observation we're going is like a reporter going to a scene. And we're just simply what does the text say? What does the text say? Like, what's the point of the author, right? And then we talk about interpretation, and we're just simply saying, what does the author, or what, is, what does it mean? Observation, what does it say? Interpretation, what does it mean? And then application, the OIA, when we say squared, application is how does it apply? But we add a step. We say, how does it apply to us? 
How does it apply to us? And how do, and then the third one is how do I make the us that? Right? And so the OIA squared is application is that we're thinking about not just how I can apply, but how do we? How does this impact my spouse? How does an application of this impact my DNA group? How does an application of this impact my city group? How does an application of this impact things? You see, because when we start understanding the, the implications of, of application, we recognize that these things that we have thrown under the kind of white lies or the white sins like gossip, we recognize that things like that, gossip can destroy communities. Because you can talk yourself, talk yourself out, but if you allow gossip to remain in your community, it will destroy it. And this is the reason why the Bible doesn't treat gossip like a little white sin, a white lie, but it's the very thing that can destroy the very fabric of the community. And so we see this idea of studying God's word and recognizing it, right? So we see about us or us, us and you. But right here in this passage, it says he devoted himself to obey it and to teach it, right? You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you really are. This is so important principle to understand is the sequence of Ezra's study is that he recognizes that in here, he says he is both seeking to understand it. He's seeking after it to understand it so that he can obey it, so that he can go and teach it. He can communicate it to other people. And so what we see right here last week of talking about these first three disciplines, these first three disciplines of Bible intakes, this talks about how we sit under God's word through the hearing, through the reading, through the studying of God's word. But in this book, Spiritual Disciplines of a Christian Life, and again, we have, um, you know, this is the book that we are helping to outline some of this um, by Donald Whitney. On page 38, he has a quote. He says this, he says, while hearing and reading, plant a seed of scripture into the soils of our souls. Other disciplines are the water and sun God uses to bring the growth of fruit of Christ's likeness in our lives. I'll say that again. On page 38, it says, while hearing and reading, plant a seed in the, into the soil of God's soul. Other disciplines are the water and the sun that God uses to bring growth of fruit, of Christ-likeness in our lives. The goal of everything we're doing is Christ-likeness. We want to be like Christ. We don't study the Bible or intake the Bible so that we can be better at Bible trivia. We are sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening so that we can be transformed into his image. So we could be transformed, right? And so what we see is that the, in the second half, the first three, hearing, reading, studying, the next three are memorizing, meditating, and applying. Memorizing, meditating, and applying God's word. And so how do we go about doing that? You see, it's important that we recognize this, this concept of treasuring God's word in our heart. Psalm 119 talks to the importance of just why. Why is memorizing, for instance, so important? Because memorizing, we've been talking about allowing the word of God to be hidden in your heart. Memorizing does that. It allows us to hide the word of God in the heart, right? And he says in verse, um, Psalm 119 and 11, it says this, 
I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. You see, in this, I have just imagined many times the, the importance of memorization is so critical for us because if we are that person on a remote island and all we have is the Bible or even if we don't have the Bible or in our job, and it's sort of like we, you know that there's some spiritual warfare that's taking place because we don't walk in the flesh, but we war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And then the spirit is going to try to figure out what sword he's going to get and he's, he has no sword in you. There's been no deposit in you. There's been no scripture that's deposited and there's no sword to wield, right? And that's oftentimes the way we have because we're not hiding God's word. We're not memorizing God's word and placing it in our hearts. And so this is why the psalmist says, I have treasured it in his heart, in my, the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what are some practices that we can do, Right? Again, some common practice of just memorizing is just memorizing a verse. When you go through and you're hearing and you're reading, and if you're using the here principle of highlighting and explaining, take some time to say, hey, whatever verse, I'm going to highlight it this day, I'm going to spend that day memorizing. Because that verse stood out to you. So if I highlight it and I'm explaining it, one of the applications can just simply be memorizing it. So that I can hide the word of God in my heart. And then my response that the spirit, whenever he needs it, and whenever that, he can go and he can grab that sword. And he can fight. He can bring that thought into cap captivity. So when we memorize whatever we highlight, memorize it. Don't memorize it kind of casually. Memorize it word perfectly. Don't kind of talk about, oh, it says a little bit about like God and, you know, it's. No, memorize both the scripture and the address. In Psalm chapter 1, 1, it says, blessed is the man who, right? Memorize it. Spend some time. Hide it. Focus in. And when you memorize, have a form of accountability around it. Who are, who can, what is a method of accountability to help you keep to say that, hey, I'm, I'm planning on memorizing it. I know for me, if whenever I tell my wife I'm going to do something, that means I know I'm serious about it. Like if I'm not really serious, I don't tell my wife. But if I'm serious about it, I'll tell her because I know she's going to hold me accountable to it. Who's that person? Who, what's that system? What's that thing that you know that's going to hold you accountable to? Memorizing God's word. And then what you want to do throughout the day is that you want to keep reviewing and meditating. Write it on a three-by-five card. Take a three-by-five card, write it down, come back to it, pull it out, memorize it, emphasize different words, memorize God's word. The second thing about how do we apply or treasure God's word in our heart is that not only memorizing, but we also meditate, meditate on it. Psalms chapter one, one through three says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, nor stand in the pathway of sinners, nor sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is also a tree planted beside the flowing streams and bears its fruits in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. One of the things that we got to recognize, the difference between Christian meditation and the spiritual meditation that's going around Christian meditation is both about emptying, but it's also about filling up. 
It's about fleeing, but it's also about putting in, pursuing. The meditation that you're hearing about yoga and all these other things oftentimes is about emptying yourself and just kind of go blank. That's not Christian meditation. Christian meditation replaces it. It's about a wrestle with God's word. It's about ruminating with God's word. It's about allowing. And what does that mean? In this passage, that word meditate ultimately is the same word that they use for cows when they talk about ruminating. You know what it means to ruminate is that a cow goes and he begins to chew on something and then he chews it up and then he swallows it. And then later he spits it back up and he chews on it again and then he swallows it. And then he spits it up and throughout the whole day that he's ruminating, he's spitting, he constantly is putting it in and spitting it out. That it's not just about him emptying himself, but it's about him nourishing himself, right? Christian meditation is about nourishment. That's why the Bible tells us flee from temptation, pursue righteousness. It's not just about fleeing. It's about pursuing that they're both. That's why it's not just about deconstructing. It's also about reconstructing, using the word of God, because you are going to reconstruct with something. And the Bible tells us that we reconstruct using God's word. We meditate, which allows us to be rooted in every season. That's why he says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the advice of the ungodly, who doesn't sit, stand in the path of sinners, no, doesn't sit in the company of the mockers. If you notice it, there's a progression. He says when it comes to these worldly things and these worldly practices and these worldly people, that the progression of the person who's not blessed is the one who starts off kind of hanging around with kind of some of this transcendentalism, kind of this mark, you know, this stuff that's separated from God. He kind of starts with just kind of walking by him, but then he goes, after walking by, he kind of stops and listens. And then he's just like, hmm, this is good. And then he pulls up a chair and he sits. You see the progression? Walking, standing, sitting. Is that we get comfortable in it. Some of us are, have getting comfortable in some practices that's anti-God's word. Because we've been allowing to sit in stuff that's not. Because we're, we're trying to flee something which is right. But we're not pursuing the right things. And putting back in us God's word. And so we see this. It's the pursuing of God's word that we recognize, that we, that we, that we have to recognize. Some of us say, well, Dahadi, the problem is, is that when I read God's word and I try to meditate, it's just, I don't, I don't get it. It, just, it's like, it seems like when you guys pull out the scriptures, there's these things that is coming. Part of it is we're not sitting. We're hearing God's word. We're reading God's word, but we're not really sitting with God's word. That same progression needs to be turned on itself. He says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, which he meditates day and night, which he goes from walking, standing, and sitting. So the inverse of walking, standing, and sitting is that we are to walk, stand, and sit with God's word. Sometimes we're in a part of the day where we just got to walk. We just got to hear God's word because we got to go do some things. There's sometimes we got to stand with God's word and think for a minute, but we know that we can't just get comfortable. But there's sometimes that we need to sit on God's word. Remember, I've always used the example in a cold and dark world that, right, we're not looking for just a light post, right, because a light post answers one problem. It's dark. It answers the darkness problem, but it still doesn't answer the cold problem. We don't go to a space heater, Right? The space heater answers one problem, it answers the heat problem, but it doesn't give us any light. Right? But we go to a bonfire, 
And the bonfire both answers both the heat and the light, right? But some of us treat, let's just imagine that that's the bonfire. Some of us treat God's word and we go, we like, oh man, this is good. I'm cold. Oh man, I just I need that word. It's cold and dark out here. Right? And that's how we treat God's word. And then we say, Pastor, I just don't get it, the word though. I just don't get it. I don't understand. See, the problem is not spirituality. The problem is that you didn't go to seminary. You don't have this degree. Or there's some kind of varsity class. The problem is the Bible says the sin. Stop walking by the God's word. Stop just only talking about 15 minutes a day and 10 minutes. Like sometimes you need to sit. Slow down. Sit with God's word. Allow the spirit of God to speak to you. Don't leave until you get something. It's the idea of wrestling. It's our methods. There's no super spiritual saints. It's saints that sit. The Bible says blessed is the one who meditates on it. Day and night. It says that person will be like a tree planted inside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever it does, it prospers. The instruction that says is people who meditate. The people who like the cow, spit it up, come back in. The people who flee, but also pursue. The people who take some time thinking, musing over God. And this is why the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, that you present. That word present means to yield your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. That this is your form of worship, of our presentation to God. Do not be transformed, but be, do not be um, conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which transforms us. So we got to understand how we're going to do that. Select the time, select the place, don't rush. And lastly, apply, and we'll end with this, apply God's word. So we got to sit with God. I mean, we have to memorize God's word. We have to meditate on God when we got to apply God's word. First James, I'm sorry, James chapter 1, 22 and 25 says this, but the doers of the word, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he is. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. The person will be blessed in what he does. You know, it's like when we walk up, we get into the mirror, we look at our face, we see that spot on our clothes. But then we go like, oh, man, we try to rub it off, you know, and then we kind of walk away and we forgot and so, and the only way that we're reminded of it is when somebody else says, hey, man, what's that spot? And then we're reminded of it. He says, don't be like that. Don't be the person who is just walking by God's word. The Bible tells us that the difference between someone who's on milk and meat is the person who's ap- applying. Milk and meat, the difference is not about if you can know, like, you know, you can quote every Bible verse, or if you know like all the seminary terms or whatever, he says, those who are practicing, those who are applying God's word are the spiritually mature. Hebrews chapter 5, 11. Right? So we got to, when we seek to apply God's word, that's why I love whether it's the hear 
acronym or the OIA, it always it starts with getting the word in you and allowing it to go through you and then applying it, responding or applying God's word. Because the Bible tells us that we ought to be both a hearer and a doer of God's word, right? How does that word impact us? How are we cultivating a habit to pursue God? And this is what we see in the book of Ezra. Ezra made a resolve to both understand the instruction of God, but then surrender to the spirit of God. And he practices disciplines to behold them both. See, because here's the truth. You become what you behold. You will become what you behold. And so it's our role is to allow the spirit of God to behold the word of God. And that's when we become the people of God, carrying out the will of God. That is our posture, and that's the reason why we constantly cultivate our heart to pursue God above all else, and we sit and we intake the Word of God and the Spirit of God because this is what makes us Christian. It's His Word and His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.